Hello everyone, welcome to the Talking Pharmacy Review of the Year. I'm Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on this special edition of the podcast is Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, Helena Beer, editor of Training Matters, and Monica West, TM Editorial Assistant. So, welcome all. How do you begin to sum up a year like the one we've just had? Well, we're going to try and paint a picture of the last 12 months in pharmacy by each of us picking out one story and one interview that we did over the course of 2020 that really stood out for us. The pandemic dominated, of course it did, especially back in the spring. I think we reported on over 100 COVID stories between the third week of March and the Easter bank holidays. But coronavirus wasn't the only story of the year. 2020 has actually been a very busy year in pharmacy, with significant developments across all areas of practice, service development, regulation and business. And I'm sure we'll touch on some of these during this episode of the podcast. So let's start by reliving some of those stories. And I think you're going to go for the uh, pandemic, Rob, aren't you? Um, What of the pandemic stood out for you back in those early days? Well, you're right, Richard. There's only one place to start really this year, isn't there? So I've picked the story that uh, we ran in P3 Pharmacy May 2020, which of course we put together towards the end of uh, April. Um, and it was our front page, front cover story. So uh, obviously as we all went into uh, lockdown and doing face-to-face stuff became difficult while community pharmacists were doing more face-to-face stuff uh we played into the whole pandemic thing by catching up with what was happening out there and obviously i think we said very early on that one of the roles of the media would be to to record the experiences of of community pharmacy teams as they manage their way through this this challenge so uh, behind a rather stunning front cover that our designer designed, um, we pulled together a piece uh, using the day-to-day testimony of a number of community pharmacy colleagues. So right from the start, really, week commencing the 16th of March, uh, I had probably about a dozen community pharmacists um, who were contributing their thoughts and and and. Um, experiences as the pandemic challenge emerged and developed. So that the piece in May covers the period from the middle of March right through to Easter uh, and captures in their words, really. My job was literally to string it all together, just what those first six weeks were like, Uh, whether they were having to manage with fewer staff because people were off, uh, how the government's announcements, or in some cases non-announcements, impacted them and their mood and their experience, uh, right through the PPE crisis when pharmacy couldn't get hold of any of it, and it was extremely challenging. The frustrations around the cash flow as it started to develop, uh, and then the right at the end there, the the challenges around the demand because community pharmacies were told they would be open over Easter. Um, That whole management process over the Good Friday 
Easter Monday uh, holiday period. Um, so it's the obvious place to start, but uh, you know, I, I couldn't have done it without the contributions, as I say, really on a daily basis from about a dozen people out there across the UK contributing their, their thoughts and experiences. Um, and uh, we've submitted that information a couple of times to various places so that none of it's gone to waste. Obviously, what made it into the magazine was just a fraction of what was actually contributed. But that's where I'd start. Yeah, they were those those accounts were were, were great. Um, those early days of of the pandemic. I mean, I you know th- I'll never forget them. We'd all been sent home, hadn't we, for starters? So there were all the challenges about working remotely, which we'd not done before, and the news cycle was frantic. And then you know you had those dramatic stories that, that you were talking about, Rob, that were, were reaching us from pharmacists to. You know, in those first three weeks, were were overwhelmed, weren't they? And unsu- unsupported, it felt um, on the front line. Um, my wife, a uh, community pharmacist, was was coming in after after sixteen hour days, and I, you know, there was a period. I, I actually probably until pharmacies started to restrict their opening hours, where I genuinely thought the the whole system was going to come crashing down. And uh, those stories were, were were captured very vividly in 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 that piece. That you did, Rob. Um, yes, and it's uh, it, it's it's information that 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 is, we've sent out, as you said, to various people to build the narrative of, of what happened. Because I think it's very important that we we don't forget how we got through and survived, if you like, that that early stage uh, of the pandemic. Yeah, thanks for that, Rob. Neil, um, what story stood out for you over the last twelve months? Well, it was it, it was a really difficult, almost impossible kind of a decision to, to make, because there's so much went on. So much has gone on, you know, over the last 10 months. And as you say, Richard, we were overwhelmed at the time uh, on our Pharmacy Network News. It was so much coming in. And we did some great stories, you know, uh, some, some some scandals. You know, we, we exposed quite a lot of things going on that, that shouldn't have been going on. Some great stories from a journalistic point of view uh, and some inspiring stories. And I and I um, I picked out one solely because it, it kind of, remi- it's, as if we need reminding, of the role that community pharmacy could have played during this pandemic, and that's um, you know being funded and resourced properly by the government um, to, to to actually help out or even you know, pr- provide some of the testing at an early stage. And, and in June, I think it was right at the start of June, um, we did an ex- uh, a, a, a story with an interview, an interview with Jay Patel at Day Lewis, um, and we asked him, you know, he said, um, "Would you would your branches be rolling out coronavirus testing or testing um, you know the, your local communities?" Um, and his answer at the time, and it, and it chimed with me, and it, and it resonates even more now, I think, um, was that you know he he would like to see pharmacies from his branch uh, carry out testing, absolutely, but only with government, only if the government provides them with the support to do so. So obviously, as was the case then, as, as is now, uh, a lack of government funding really didn't help that situation. Um, and it did just, I mean, this is what he said. He said, you know, it could happen um, only if there is the capacity to deliver this service, in addition to the increased workload to manage, manage higher dispensing volumes. Uh, there needs to be adequate measures in place to protect pharmacy teams, and we need all the, all the support that goes along with that, and, and how right he was, and how right he still is. And I just think, I, I picked out that story in particular because it just resonates, you know, with me and I suppose a lot of other people, just what role pharmacy could have played had it been resourced at an earlier, an earlier stage. We had all these silly um covid testing um <clears throat> drive-through sites these swab testing uh, sites all over the country which were really struggling in the early stages 
And even at that point, I, you know, I was thinking, well, why, why, if only pharmacy was funded properly and resourced and supported properly and protected properly from an early stage, it, it, what better, what, what better part of the NHS to do that? So that's the reason I picked out Jay Patel um, back in early June. Yeah, that was a, a really strong story, Neil. And how many, how many stories did we write about testing and, and PPE during those early days? And well, at least the PPE situation is. You know, finally resolved itself. The testing story um, it's still pretty uncertain, albeit there are, there are tests being rolled out now, um, lateral flow tests that many pharmacies are doing. But I, I find the, the testing situation still um, really, <clears throat> really confusing. But anyway, let's move on. Arthur, uh, you were really busy um, heading up our pharmacy network news operation. What stood out for you amongst the uh, the bedlam of the all that news that was going on at the time? Thanks, Richard. And um, well, I'm going to echo what you and Rob were saying, and that my most sort of vivid defining memories are of those sort of early months of the pandemic in spring, the sort of frenzied uh, demand on the part of patients, and the impact that this had on our readers. And um, we ran a couple of surveys in March and April, and they sort of revealed just the, the huge pressure our readers were under in terms of workload and hours and trying to source medicines but I think most shockingly the abuse they were facing uh, we ran a survey in I think the end of March I found 70% of 77% of pharmacists were facing a rise in abuse uh, most of this was verbal abuse but a lot of it was sort of threats and physical violence to either to people or to the pharmacy or da- damaging the pharmacy really horrible stuff like patients saying, you know, I hope you get the virus, really sort of spiteful, horrible stuff that just sort of, I guess, sums up the, the, the crazy mood that was in the country at that time. Um, thankfully, things have calmed down a bit now, but that was a really sort of difficult time for our readers and they persevered very well. Um, another story that springs to mind is, I think this is our most sort of seen, our most visited story of all time, actually. Um, was from April again, and it was uh, the GPHC saying that they had had complaints from the public about having to wait outside pharmacies during the pandemic. And I think this just really, this sort of came at a time when our readers were just exhausted, stressed, they'd had enough. And I think that's why it sort of resonated so much was just the uh, the lack of understanding for what they were going through. Um, I mean, again, you know, that, like thankfully i mean th- things are very busy now obviously it's winter it's always a busy time and, th- and now there's covid on top of it thankfully things but thankfully things are less sort of uh are less difficult than they were in the spring but um i think i think they sort of go to show what what our readers were going through and how they how they stood up to the plate yeah two two really good examples there i, I remember that that gphc story i didn't know it was our most uh, kind of red red story actually which that's incredible. But those, yeah, those reports you mentioned, Arthur, of abuse, intimidation, and, you know, even violence inflicted on pharmacy teams. I felt I felt that was like a punch to the, the solar plexus. It, it, it felt like a really bitter blow with everything that that pharmacy teams were having to, to contend with at the time. And I, you know, I know it's people were scared and human nature and, and everything else and people weren't behaving normally. But I mean, that was a horrible period uh, for pharmacy teams out there. And I, I hope we, we never see a repetition uh, of that. Um, it's never, ever acceptable under any circumstances. I really felt for, for our readers and listeners um, at that time. OK, uh, Helena, what, uh, what story 
that's stuck in your memory from the last 12 months? Um, well, I think as Arthur and Neil both alluded to, there were so many stories stand out. So it's hard to um, hard to choose just one. And especially the sheer volume of stories that were coming out from the first lockdown regarding like all the pressures on community pharmacies. Um, but my story of the year is one that came out of um, A.D. Williams Pharmacies in Bristol. Um, so earlier this year, when the pandemic was a dot on the horizon, really, um, they took on a trainee dispensing assistant. Um, Michelle had just arrived um, in the UK from New Zealand. Um, She had no pharmacy experience, but a lot of enthusiasm. And she threw herself in at the deep end, um, which only got deeper when um, lockdown was announced, I think it's fair to say. Um, So she wrote an article for us um, for TM. And I think it's a really important story. Um, It's an intelligent, refreshing and positive take on a difficult year. So she talks about the challenges that she and the pharmacies that she was working in faced, but she also says that she believes she couldn't have come to the UK at a better time. Um, she loved being able to put in hours um, hours upon hours into meaningful work, and she relished being part of a team of essential workers that kept everything going. Um, my favourite quote from her was when she said, Everything about this year has been full of drama and pain and kindness and love. The worst times have also often brought out the best in us. And I really do agree with that. And I think her story encapsulates this year in pharmacy in a perfect way. It's triumph over adversity. It's um, the healthcare underdog coming out, um, coming into their own, making a difference, even more so than usual. And it's giving pharmacy teams the recognition that they really deserve, I think. Yeah, thanks, Helena. Uh, great quote, great story. That was one of my, my favourite TM stories of, of the year, actually. Uh, Monica, what, what about you? Um, so my story comes from um, Jackie Horn, um, who I interviewed in July. Um, she's a non-pharmacist pharmacy manager and pre-registration trainee pharmacy technician from uh, Lloyd's Pharmacy in Middlesbrough. And um, this isn't along the COVID pandemic theme, but just um, wanted to include it because I think there's been a lot of great hard work that people have still been managing to do even at this time. Um, so one great example um, um, she gave me was um, a customer who lives nearby in a bungalow. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, her her house was flooded and the mother cares for a disabled daughter and um, the team had served them for quite a long time and felt really um, personally affected by the story. So um, Jackie kind of instantly started planning how they could help and were accepting um, items of clothing for the children and like anything that customers could wish to donate to help them. Um, And another great story was um, like the example there, the, the team really try to help the community in many ways and um, they do a lot of fundraising Um, in the past they've dressed as um, superheroes and baked cupcakes to raise money for Alzheimer's Um, they even had a treadmill in the pharmacy as part of a Run26 fundraising scheme for Diabetes UK Um, and this particular fundraising challenge um, was taken on after Jackie's daughter sadly died from type 1 diabetes in 2018 after slipping into a coma at just 20 but together the team raised £6,000 for Diabetes UK um, 
and actively promoted the diabetes testing service in Lloyd's, that Lloyd's Pharmacy um, provides. So that really um, stuck out to me as through all this still kind of working for community. Wow, great stories there. Really, really powerful stories there, Monica. Um, thank you for that. Um, what about me? One of the, well, one of the stories I remember was on the, the, the clinical side of things. Now, I had written a story about two months into the pandemic, I think, on a study that was published in The Lancet about how hydroxychloroquine was associated with a, a higher risk of heart problems and death in, in patients with COVID-19. Now, this was a big deal at the time because there was a, a, a lot of research activity looking at whether chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine could help treat patients with COVID-19. So there were about over 150 studies, I think, looking at these drugs at the time. So this, this was a big deal. But it turned out that the, the database used in the study was, was questionable and the Lancet then retracted the paper. Now, things were moving very quickly and the trouble was I'd actually written the story based on the original um, report published in, in, in the Lancet. And I might even have sent it to Arthur for, for release on, on Pharmacy Network News. So it involved a frantic uh, rewrite for me. And luckily we, we haven't published the original, but I, I would have been mortified to, to have added to the torrent of, of misinformation about COVID that was out there at the time. And it, you know, it really highlighted to me as I, as I look back now, uh, how difficult it was back then to make sense of this blizzard of COVID research and to make sure that we were, we were publishing accurate clinical information for pharmacists. And it certainly kept myself and my clinical editor, Mark, Mark Greener, on our toes. And there was so much conflicting information going on at the time, uh, whether it was that idiot Trump stupidly telling people to, to drink bleach or there was the French health minister who got it wrong about ibuprofen. I remember there was a scare about the drug ivermectin. I think uh, there was another story about ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers worsening COVID-19 uh, disease severity in hospitalized patients, none of which were true. And it all took a bit of working through. Um, and our clinical coverage gave me uh, a few sleepless nights. I, I don't mind admitting um, right at the start of that pandemic, around about the April, May, June time. <laughs> So they were the standout stories for us of 2020. What about the interviews? On the podcast, we have a pharmacist on the frontline slot. And it's amazing to listen back now to some of the interviews we did with pharmacists when the pandemic was first raging and pharmacy teams were under so much pressure, as we've heard. It takes you right back to that troubled and, and rather frantic period. So we're going to play now a short montage of those interviews starting with Jonathan Burton of Wright Medicine Pharmacy up in Scotland. For me, I felt, I guess, the, the very, very front tip of the tsunami. I, I work on a university campus environment in a community pharmacy. So we had a, effectively a mass exodus of uh, both home and overseas students over a period of about a week and a half. Um, so our dispensing volumes spiked very, very early as people tried to leave the town and, and leave the country at the very, very earliest um, point. This was even before the social distancing rules and uh, business closures happened. A walk-in IP clinic for common conditions. Yeah. So that's um, ear, nose and throat, dermatology, bit of respiratory, you know, bit, bit, bit of work with eyes. And 
three weeks ago today, our GP practice pulled their, our local campus-based GP practice, they pulled their morning walk-in clinic service, which is an extremely busy service. It's completely walk-in. And I would usually act as an overflow for that. So what happened was overnight they shut the door to that clinic and effectively a larger proportion of those patients turned up at the pharmacy at opening time. Um, so in the first 40 minutes of my day, I must have triaged about a dozen patients, about a quarter of whom, well, three or four of them had um, had symptoms that warranted them being in isolation. Yeah. And at that point, the social distancing rules weren't fully embedded. People didn't really understand a lot about the, you know, the symptom checking around this. So it was just quite a scary moment because there was literally a queue out the door, not for prescriptions, but for my consultation service. That followed into the that that went into the following week, really. Um, and we had a couple more days of trying to firefight that and quickly adapting and trying to move to a telephone consultation based service, which is now fully embedded. But then it was a big culture change. Again, people didn't really get the social distancing. So it was really, really challenging. And, and at that point, our prescription volumes were going up. But of course, in what I would call standard community pharmacy sites in villages, high streets, towns, things at that point were really, really motoring in terms of, you know, the volumes of prescriptions coming through. Yeah. I think with hindsight, you can see that that was all about human behaviours. That was about the fact that we were all in panic mode. The public, GP practices, pharmacies, we didn't know what was going to happen next. So, you know, those prescriptions... They all ha had a sense of had a sense of urgency. So, you know, our teams throughout the company, and we specialise in small village and town sort of high street based pharmacies. Um, they were really, really feeling the um, feeling the pressure. So, yeah, it was just uh, an unexpected, tough, unprecedented few days, and it's still not fully calmed down yet. I think we first need to say is that we really had to re innovate and adapt a lot. Um, I think the first part of it, you know, like any part of the human experience when you were faced a crisis like this, was really just panic. Uh, panic because everything just, it was a deluge, you know, there was no kind of any safety barriers. I think it really, you know, for one thing that we felt, I, I personally, and I think the team when we've spoken, I've really felt is that how we had no safety barriers. I think historically, the financial situation, the settlement and the funding costs, had, you know, taken some, you know, taken a lot away. But for somebody coming into community pharmacy, you didn't see that. You know, you still saw the same things happening. But when, you know, the volumes were coming in. And the other thing that we were really struck by was how isolated we were. I think more, more so isolated from the local primary care uh, networks, you know, which seems rather ironic because we do have those networks. But it seemed as though, when primary care was made, making decisions about how to cope with it, community pharmacy was simply left, you know, without a lifeboat to sail across from what was the crisis that was coming. And, but yeah, it's been tough. Um, I have been really proud of the sector. Um, I think we have done exceptionally well to stay open, to look after our patients, to keep that essential supply of medicines going, um, to keep that, um, you know, the kind of making sure that we can give that advice to patients, making sure we can support our community, 
Uh, and all of those things that we've just kept going without thinking about our own safety, without thinking about our own health, um, without thinking that we shouldn't, really, to be honest. Um, and we've just kept going. And I think that is incredible for our pharmacy sector to have done that. And I feel really, really proud about the way we've handled it. Quite early on, I kind of sat down and wrote a list of all the things that we have to think about in pharmacy. Um, and, you know, all these thoughts that are coming through my head. What about this? What if my staff fall ill? What if uh, I have to close my pharmacy? Well, uh, you know, how am I going to protect my staff? How am I going to function? What if we don't get deliveries of medicine? Um, and all of these thoughts are sort of coming through my head. And I kind of made a list that I did share um, with quite a few people, actually. And I felt that was my way of coping. That was my way of kind of thinking, right, if, if it does all go wrong, what, what are we going to do? And I think I'm glad I made that list because it kind of helped me to um, plan, plan it out properly. Um, you know, prioritise the things that were important, such as protection of my staff and team. Um, and actually, do you know what? We've been service business as usual, service as usual. Um, and I think that's quite incredible. And I think most pharmacies have been able to do the same thing too. The number of people that came into our pharmacy in those first few weeks with the panic buying, I guess it was, over the paracetamol and the toilet roll and the disinfectants and the hand sanitizers that took us by surprise. Um, and uh you know patients and the public were really um you know uh, i guess there's a lot of scaremongering going on there's a lot of patients really really anxious about it and i think that took us by surprise initially that initial rush of patients coming in you know we're we're okay you know we're not always busy but you know we do get patients coming in but nothing like the volume we, we dealt with and then it was the phone calls constant phone calls um, about people worrying about what will happen about their medicines um and actually if i look back that probably wasn't publicized well enough about how pharmacies are open and you can still get your medicines and sort of some sort of public messaging around that would have been really helpful because we were shielding all those queries and, and the concerns of patients um we weren't ready for the number of deliveries that we uh now do uh because of people staying at home because of the lockdown i think those are sort of things that we weren't ready for um but we've coped we've managed do you know what my team have been amazing um all credit to them uh they've come to work every single day some of them have got, uh, you know, children at home or some of them have got um, people who aren't well in their household, for example, and they're putting themselves at risk every day by coming in. But they haven't thought twice about it. They've all come to work. Um, and um, I think they feel an immense sense of pride. So when, you know, patients have been coming in saying, thank you so much for being open. Uh, this is incredible. You're amazing. And that just makes them feel absolutely wonderful. Um, and they um, would do nothing else but come to work. They've been really, really great. Well, I mean, the, the the first thing is 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 was looking at our business continuity planning and how on earth we're going to cope. We had, none of us had any idea of what was actually going to happen. So we were planning to keep three branches open, then two branches open, then two branches part time. Um, but as it happens, we've managed to keep all three open, um, and um, the online pharmacy split into two teams so that we we never met, we could isolate each other. So. It's quite a lot of planning to start with and just not knowing what we're going to go through. And then, of course, the, the, the kind of tsunami of prescriptions, you know, in, in March and April, you know, it was, it, was, um, it was all hands on deck, basically, just to try and cope with the increase in volume, uh, the increase in phone calls, the decrease in stock, uh, the, the sickness. So it's, it's, been, it's, been, it's been quite an experience. And... Um, I have to say that the pharmacy teams, that uh, my teams, and I, I think pretty much all, all the teams have just absolutely, you know, pulled it all out and 
and uh, kept going quite remarkably really it's a great little pharmacy uh it's not uh, it's not you know it's busy um but w with the cuts it was it was already teetering on the edge um we, we cut the opening hours we cut the staff um but when when the crisis hit um the thing that the thing that was supporting us was really the the private um travel um income uh plus the uh, you know, a, a small bit of income from other services we could offer but without that income um you know the the, the pharmacy was already on its knees and we just felt we couldn't we couldn't continue to operate the business safely uh, for the staff because I think it was just too much pressure, and um, it just it just wasn't it wasn't the right thing to do for the patients either because it, it just felt it was just it was just too close to the bone. It really demonstrates sadly the human cost of it all and the sacrifices and the risks that um, community ph pharmacy staff on the front line um, ha have been placed in. So you know very sadly, um, Jayesh Patel, who's a a locum pharmacist um, for a number of uh, pharmacy owners in Surrey um, succumbed. So, you know, I want to pay tribute to him on here uh, and his devotion to his community. That that, that certainly really came through. Um, so that was very difficult, uh, something I never thought I'd do in, in my career. But we just tried to play a small role in terms of reaching out to those contractors he worked for and made sure they were supported and and also to his family and, and to to local civic leaders to let them know and make sure that they that he's been recognized and and uh, will be recognized and that the family is supported but it's a real stark reminder i think of you know the risks that that uh, pharmacy teams and and other frontline you know key workers have, have faced it was horrendous um for a kickoff we had two girls off um self-isolating both who showed symptoms and we had um, one of the girls was pregnant and so she had to go. So all of a sudden, staff numbers were slashed and the number of people in the pharmacy, I mean, you know, in happier times, you'd be going, great, the place is packed with people all wanting something, brilliant, you know, bring it on. Um, but it was terrifying because a lot of them were very angry. All of them were bewildered. And coping with that, in retrospect, I don't know how we did. Um, it was in retrospect, frightening, but we were so busy, we didn't have the chance to, to be frightened. I know that immediately <clears throat> we had this problem. That night, one of the delivery drivers helped me. We went to the local Wicks and got some poly, uh, polystyrene, what do you call it, perspex shields and put them up immediately. And I'm so glad we did. Um, and then we got the instructions that we could vary our opening hours within certain times. And that made a huge difference, I have to say, in terms of managing patients. Obviously, there's lots of well-documented stuff about how patients haven't taken kindly to uh, being told to keep two metres apart when they're queuing. And we've had people coming in and saying, you know, the bloody ridiculous, having to queue to get into a chemist and talking to them and saying, well, you know, you realise the Prime Minister's in intensive care at the moment. And you may as well have been talking Swahili to some of them because they could not make the connection between the two uh, <laughs> incidents. However, in the main, people have been great. I mean, really, really good. But you couldn't plan for this at all. Like, yeah, we had no idea this was going to be at this kind of level. Um, so, yeah, it, it was insane. I like to think of myself as a very kind of, you know, the level of business we have. It's, it's very hard to switch volume anyway, so we have to be prepared and organised everything like that. But this was like another level, and you just couldn't prepare for it. You couldn't 
organise itself quick enough. It seemed to just suddenly happen. Um, so yeah, and I think everyone talking to our friends and uh, you know other contractors is the same. You know, we tried, we just couldn't predict the level of uh, intensity. Um, so yeah, it's been, it was very tough. It, it's certainly been a roller coaster of emotion. Um, it all happened so quickly, didn't it? You know, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of pharmacists out there feeling exactly the same. Um, you know, we, we, we sort of watched it progress early days, but then when the GP surgeries effectively closed, the, the sort of onslaught from that was enormous. Um, so, okay, we talk about prescription volume and added work. Um, for me, the greatest difficulty was dealing with people's panic um, people's fears, people's emotions, um, such that our phone call volume, I mean, went went through the roof. Um, our phone company couldn't believe it. They said, well, you, you're like a small call centre. So at times we were near in a thousand calls a day, um, which is fairly unmanageable. <laughs> um, and apart from that, you know, it was the emails, the texts, people were just trying to find any way to make contact with a human health professional, I guess. Some incredible interviews there. A, a real narrative picture painted of what it was like for, for pharmacy at the time. And I'm so grateful to Jonathan Burton, Adi Williams, Tony Schofield, Rena Barai, James Wood, Ali Sparks, Stuart Gale and James Tibbs for sharing their experiences with us. Uh, thanks to them. Rob, you do a lot of interviews uh, in P3 for your cover stories, but which one really stood out as you look back over the year? Yeah, we've had some, we've had some good ones this year. So, um, but for my standout one, really, I'm, I'm not going to go back too far. I'm going to go back to our November issue uh, when I interviewed uh, a community pharmacist, Atul Patel, from Tower Hamlets. And... It was an extraordinary day. It was the, the only interview I've actually been able to do face-to-face -face since uh, March. So I got in in the window when we were all allowed to actually do something uh, and, and travel about a bit. So I went to see uh, this pharmacist and um, he's, he and his pharmacy are at the centre of a, a community-wide transformation. The St Paul's Way Transformation Project. 25-year um, re-engineering of the, the whole of that, that small community. It's just a, a small street in Poplar in Tower Hamlets. Now, Atul's story is he, he came to this country with his family um, from Uganda in 1973. Uh, he worked his way through pharmacy school by partly by repairing washing machines and other electrical appliances going out in a van that his uncle gave him, uh, something that he'd learned to do as a schoolboy. Um, but the story really, I think, takes off when he met a guy, a social entrepreneur called Andrew Mawson, who has, had, was very significant in the, the transformation of the Bromley by Bow site, which is not, not too far away from uh, St Paul's Way in East London. And basically as a result of all of that uh, this project set off and it had the community pharmacy as a fundamental part of that so 
it's a really nice story. Not only has he got a, a personal vision for his practice and the way that he does that, but he is completely embedded in things like the local school, uh, the health centre, which is in the, the same building now as the pharmacy, but on the next floor up. There's a Prince's Trust local centre also in the same building. And so the, the interview really was, I, I, I went for about 45 minutes and two and a half hours later, he's still telling me about his life. Just absolutely amazing. I think a couple of things just um, to pull out of it, just to give you a flavour. Um, he's because he's so quotable. There's so many things that he said that, you know, resonated with me and I couldn't fit them all in the article. But he said um, he talks about this about his father. We went from having everything back in Uganda to a refugee camp with a curtain separating families. Dad said, remember, tough times don't last. Tough people do. It's time to have no regrets, but new dreams and new desires, and new expectations in life. I've never forgotten that. And I don't think I'm ever going to forget that either. And then the one I particularly liked um, this one. So very early on in his um, discussions with Andrew Mawson, who we met on the street. Uh, he asked me to do an inspection of the school with him. I'd never been in the school, Atul says. When we came out, he asked for my opinion. I said, Andrew, if I was at this school and I wasn't smoking, drinking or taking drugs, I'd start all three. <laughs> now, <laughs> that's not what the school's like now. So the whole school, we were, you know, really nice to be able to go to the school, meet the head teacher who had some very nice things to say about local community pharmacists. The clinical lead in the practice has got some amazing things to say about the community pharmacists. Genuinely transformational. And, you know, to, to see a community pharmacist as part of all that is just fantastic. Now, one of the things to say about it is I don't think at all is in one respect unique. Uh, there aren't many people like him, but I think the kind of engagement and the community centre, the 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 social capital that he's got, we talk about it quite a bit. I don't think that's unique. And I think there are many, scratch the surface of many communities and you'll find community pharmacists like Atoll, it's really nice to be able to to um, shine a light on one and, and do it in some depth, which which was really great. I'll just leave you with one final thought. As you go in Atoll's pharmacy, Lincoln Pharmacy on St Paul's Way, just on the right of the door, of the door as you get inside is a little plaque about the, the official opening. There's the pharmacy was officially opened by Brian Cox, okay. the celebrity scientist uh, who everybody will know. And, you know, how does a community pharmacist know Brian Cox? Well, Brian Cox was the first patron of the school, which is on the other side of the street from Atoll's pharmacy. And every summer, apart from this one, obviously, for obvious reasons, uh, they have a summer science school, which Brian Cox essentially organises, gets a few mates to come along inspire the kids and Atul has been very much a part of that behind the scenes right from the start of that seven eight nine years ago um, and so uh, as I say the one bit that I think is unique is pharmacy opened by Brian Cox or a member of the Royal Society indeed uh, just tremendous and it kind of puts the tin lid as my grandfather would have said on the whole story just to just have that little extra bit you know how do you know Brian Cox oh well he's an old friend that's kind of something special, isn't it? It is. 
It is something special. It was a great interview with, with Atta that you did. It got a lot of attention, didn't it, Rob? A lot of traction on, on social media. And he's uh, an extraordinary pharmacist. Uh, and it is a fantastic story. It's a pharmacy opened by Brian Cox, for goodness sake. Um, well worth a read, November edition of P3 and online. So, Arthur, let's come to you. Uh, what's your interview choice of the year? Uh, well, one of the big stories globally this year, obviously, has been um, Black Lives Matter and, and the way that started a lot of conversations about uh, racial inequality, racial divisions, and uh, no less within pharmacy. There have been some sort of difficult decisions this year. And uh, during Black History Month this October, um, I had a conversation with Ade Williams, and he spoke about his... Uh, his sort of analysis of the situation and his concerns and uh, and how he hopes things things will progress he talked about things like the issue of um representation and i know we had in the podcast um elsie gomez campus from, from the black farms association so things like representation are improving uh, but he also talked about how um how bias could go against sort of ethnic minority pharmacists in terms of uh, they get um singled out for fitness to practice cases uh, disproportionately and all this and um, he was very, uh, he, he, he spoke from the heart, I felt, um, and he thought, he, he said things like, you know, well, this is in the news now, but new cycles change, but we have to sort of identify our goals and keep them in sight. And um, I mean, to have an end, end point in mind, you know, we need to properly th- talk about what, what do we, where do we want to get to as a profession and what do we need to do to get there? Um, and, you know, we talked about things like, should there be more opportunities for mentoring um, and, you know, thinking about sort of what resources we need to put in place uh, and particularly the the experience of um, uh, black M-farm students and pre-registration pharmacists because there have been sort of issues there. And obviously that's the very start of someone's uh, career as a pharmacist. And so if you can sort of imp- improve the situation there, that could, you know, uh, that could that could help prevent problems later on and that was a really sort of thought-provoking conversation and that's what that's what sticks out for me yeah Ade spoke very strongly and eloquently didn't he um I interviewed Elsie Gomez Campos like you say Arthur um for the pod uh, Elsie president the UK Black Pharmacists Association and I spoke to Elsie and her committee members, and like you, you, you say, Arthur, equality and discrimination, uh, the debate about that has raged in pharmacy this year. Uh, and Elsie spoke so powerfully about this and, and the, uh, the racist abuse, discrimination that, that she had suffered during her career in pharmacy. And that, like, like with you, Arthur, that left a, a, a real impression on me and, and made me rethink a, a few things as well if I'm honest so yeah that's a that's a very good choice Arthur. Neil um, you do a lot of interviews as well what stood out uh, for you this year 2020? Yeah absolutely Richard yeah we, we've done a lot of interviews this year and uh, we all have some very powerful interviews um, really hard to pick one out actually and, uh, and I've uh, I've chosen I've gone for a very powerful frank interview with uh, Tracy Kyle who is a dispensing assistant at New Life Pharmacy in Glasgow. And um, she won the Independent Pharmacy Awards uh, Health Champion Award last year at the House of Commons and, and richly deserved. Um, I picked up the interview, really, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it was, a very, it was a very powerful interview, as I said, and, and, and 
it, it, was, a, it was a real snapshot as to what pharmacy is going through, community pharmacy. And, and uh, you know, we were talking about patients you know, losing their call and losing their and temper. And none of us would condone that. Absolutely not. Um, but uh, she she does. You know, she did say that, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, patients were frightened. Some were aggressive. There was so much going on in the media, so many deaths happening and people's fear led to aggression and I th- that really resonated with me because when I read it because you know I th- rather than sort of you know attack it and, and and feel sorry for herself or criticize it or feel angry about what she experienced and you know the, the backlash that, she, that they got from uh, patients she was very philosophical uh, refreshingly philosophical and, and I and, and, and she she tried to understand what was the underlying reasons for why patients were being angry and losing their call and it's human nature. And she said that, you know, she, she went on to say that, you know, fear, it's the fear of the pandemic led, that led to the aggression. And, and people were actually terrified of, uh, of what, we, what, what, what might happen to them. But they were so anxious and, and, and scared that that was, that, that was the reason uh, for, for their anger towards the pharmacy team. Now, there's no excuse for their anger towards the pharmacy team. We know that. But it was just a really um, uh, interesting insight into in, uh, you know, her going under 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 sort of the, the layers and trying to understand the reasons behind it. And the other thing that caught my um, attention in the interview um, was um, the fact that during uh, some stage during the pandemic, they, digital consultations and virtual platforms were there uh, for the pharmacy teams to uh, uh, for the pharmacy team to um you know engage with and get and get going with and they could have gone down that road as a lot of gp surgeons have done during the pandemic um but uh, tracy um who's a dispensing assistant at ulife pharmacy um you know she she said that um uh, you know we wanted to give our patients um, you know face-to-face human the human touch we wanted to give them face-to-face care even though we you know, we knew the dangers attached to that you know we, the patients want face-to-face care they need face-to-face care we're, we're going to we're going to give them that and i thought that was really powerful you know and uh, and just goes to show you the kind of a pharmacy putting its life you know a pharmacy team putting their lives on the line to make sure that their their patients get the very best care possible so i thought that was really 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 powerful and um that really sort of struck me so it resonated with me so that's why i've chosen tracy kyle new life pharmacy in glasgow that's a very good choice, uh, Neil. Yeah, that commitment to, to face-to-face care is, was the hallmark, wasn't it, of, of pharmacy during the, the pandemic when the doors to uh, other parts of the health service uh, were, were being closed and, and pharmacies kept their doors open under sometimes terrible pressure. And, and you're right, it was it was human behaviour, I suppose, that was driving some of these I- extreme reactions. And it was... That was something I got from talking to to pharmacists of the likes of like Tony Schofield or, or Ali Sparks down in Neath, you know, embedded in their their local communities. And like like you said, Neil, they they just tried to understand why people were being uh, aggressive and and kind of tackled it head on in an in an empathetic way. And I think people were maybe forgetting themselves. And it would take Tony, for instance, to go out to the queue outside his pharmacy. I think it was actually a fight between some patients waiting, and just to say, look, guys. Look! Look at what's happening here. Just think about things and and calmly dealing with some 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 very stressful situations. So yeah, that's uh, that's a great great interview, Neil. Um, and that's that's a good selection, a uh, good choice you've made for the pod. Um, Helena, one of the great aspects of your job, I think, is is talking to our wonderful pharmacy support staff up and down the country. Do do you have a favourite interview that you've done? Um, I do. Um, my favourite interviewee of the year was uh, Liz Fiddler, president of the Association of Pharmacy Technicians UK. 
Um, so I interviewed her on the 17th of January, seems like a lifetime ago now. Um, and it was one of those rare face-to-face interviews of 2020 as well. Um, so the interview happened in the run-up to her one-year anniversary of receiving the chain of office. So obviously we looked back over her inaugural year, but we also discussed the association's plans for the future. Um, One thing that came up a lot was the aim to develop the pharmacy technician voice, to get it heard at the highest levels, to further establish the profession's position within the healthcare environment, um, and to also maintain key relationships with with policymakers. Um, The pandemic clearly hindered some of their plans, um, so their involvement in the Clinical Pharmacy Congress was one example Um, and their annual professional conference, which always brings in some great speakers from the NHS and the wider healthcare community. Um, But what's been interesting is that the pandemic has um, facilitated those sought-after conversations as well as as hindering them in some ways. Um, So Liz has since said that she's never had so many conversations about the roles of pharmacy technicians in the many years that she's been a member of, of APT UK and been a pharmacy technician Um, More recently in her column in TM's December issue, uh, Liz refers to 2020 as the year of the pharmacy technician. Um, I have to say personally, I think it's the year of all healthcare professionals with everything that's been thrown their way. I don't think any um, individual profession can be singled out. They've all been incredible. Um, But I do agree with her that pharmacy technicians have really come into their own. Um, And that's been proven by the widespread support that's been offered. So lots of really encouraging comments from the likes of Keith Ridge. Um, That was to coincide with World Pharmacy Technician Day in October um, and support from Joe Churchill and and others as well. Um, I think the conversations that Liz has been able to facilitate have made such a big difference. And there's still a really long way to go, but I think progress has been made and she's definitely built on on some of that progress this year. Um, And yeah, looking back, I think that's what made the interview in January really positive. The fact that despite the challenge of of the pandemic, Liz embraced it. She used the opportunities that it brought to really further the pharmacy technician profession. It might have been done in a slightly different way um, and one that could never have been predicted, but she succeeded. And my personal hope for for 2021 is that, that that's able to continue. It feels, Helena, that you did that interview in about 1998. It seems so long. Was it? Was it, <laughs> it only? Does. Was it only January? Um, it was. But yes. but you're right, and and of course Liz was was right, and this was a uh, very much a, a team approach, you know, to to dealing with the the pandemic um, across the health service, especially in pharmacy. And yeah, uh, definitely, I, I agree. I think it, it elevated the kind of skill mix debate during the course of the year and it would be nice going forward uh, into into the next year if we could have as a profession or as a sector a kind of more mature debate about about maximizing um, the skills of every member of the pharmacy team and, and I think Liz was, was saying that that very clearly yeah thanks Helena um, Monica you talked to lots of pharmacy support staff uh, like Helena well what interview stood out for you this year uh, yeah, um, but actually this um, person I interviewed was not a member of pharmacy support staff, but um, my absolute standout interview 
of the year for a couple of reasons. So I interviewed uh, Jenny Dunman in October, who is founder of Daisy First Aid, um, which teaches first aid for babies and children um, to adults, so to parents or mums-to-be, carers, etc. Um, and, and I thought um, Jenny was absolutely fantastic. She was absolutely pleasure to talk to. Um, but she was inspired to start the organisation um, when she was out for coffee with a friend and her friend's child um, actually choked on a cookie. And Jenny, who'd previously been a police officer, um, immediately jumped in and saved, saved the child. It, it was one of those organisations that starts on a good story and not, and not a bad one. But um, yeah, so she saved the child, but then was kind of thinking like, why is um, first aid for children, babies, kind of not just incorporated into kind of when you're becoming a parent or like anyone who's around children and wanted to make it normal practice so that's why she was um kind of inspired to start the organization which I think um is really cool but also just as an interviewer obviously a chatty person is always more preferable but I think the best people and what makes this for me kind of my best interview is the people who you interview who you almost forget you're interviewing and you just have a really interesting conversation with and then at the end I was like oh we're not just friends and we haven't just been talking I've been interviewing you and when I came off the phone I remember I was just really buzzing and like really excited to kind of share the hard work that she's been doing. I remember you coming out you were excited that that sounded a fantastic it was a fantastic interview you did there with, with Jenny it was a great bit of work actually Monica and it, yeah it's uh, it's well worth worth digging out so that just about wraps up our review of the year uh, thanks to Rob Arthur Neil Helena and Monica it's uh, it's been a difficult year yes but I think one that's shown um the very best of community pharmacy and and I hope we painted a picture of the year uh for all of you listeners to the pod uh, it was the year of COVID, of course, and I feel we must make mention at this point, very sadly, uh, to those in pharmacy who lost their lives to the virus, including Navin Talati, Mandy Sidon, Jayesh Patel, Berinda Rawat, Pooja Sharma, Mahul Patel, and Jermaine Wright. The Talking Pharmacy podcast will return in 2021. Let's hope it's a better year from all of us. Stay safe, look after yourselves. Thanks very much for listening. Uh-huh.